0: Welcome to Across Oceans, the podcast where we discuss all things related to third culture kids, growing up overseas, and crazy travel stories. We'll discuss the benefits, the challenges, and everything in between, from growing up as a global nomad to where we are now as adults. I'm your host, Julia, and thank you for tuning in. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Once again, I have a very special guest today, Chris O'Shaughnessy, a fellow TCK, podcaster, author, but primarily a professional speaker who goes around the world speaking on the topic of TCKs, but in a humorous and educational way. And this is where I first heard of Chris. I um, was in Switzerland and I heard on the news that a speaker was coming to my town and I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is exactly my background, but also what I'm interested in now with this podcast. And This sounds like an incredible um, opportunity to go listen to an expert or professional. Um, And so I went and listened to Chris's talk and it was amazing. We chatted afterwards. I bought his book and then did a deep dive and read the book. Um, He also has a podcast, so really just consumed all of his content and thought, wow, this would be a great person to have on Across Oceans. And so he has so kindly agreed to join me today for this conversation. Uh, so yeah, welcome, Chris, to the podcast.
1: Oh my goodness, thank you so much. It's it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no worries. And I actually was wondering, because we realized that you have spoken at my high school before, um, yeah. Singapore American School. So I'm wondering <laughs> what was the first time you spoke there? Because maybe there's a pre-existing small world story that we don't even know about.
1: Oh my gosh, that's, oh, it's a good question. Um we're we're going to reveal how disorganized i am now because oh, that's i okay. cuz dates uh, yeah let me give a, let me give a guestimate i i would think i mean it might have been as early as uh maybe like 20 maybe 2014 Around there, maybe 2014,
0: 2013. All right.
1: I, I, I blame time zone hopping that all my dates begin to blur together. So that's 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 my excuse. That's my excuse.
0: Honestly, it's something we struggled with as TCKs, and even now as adults, and especially now with your profession of being everywhere all the time. I'm sure you're just, you never know what time it is or uh, where pretty, you are.
1: Pretty much, pretty much. It's uh, You could look at it as a bad thing, but I honestly think, I think I've just broken my internal clock. Um, but in a good way it means that I feel like I don't actually jet lag that bad anymore I I've learned to just be a social eater and sleeper I just I I take cues from who's around me I think is is everyone else sleeping okay it's time to sleep I'll do that too and yeah it's (laughs) it's a good system
0: exactly so that that could check out then because I was um at Singapore American um from 2013 to 2016, I guess, in high school. So oh. I don't know. When I heard you speak in Switzerland, I was like, this person seems very familiar to me. So who knows? Maybe <laughs> Entirely, possible. Entirely, Entirely possible. Entirely possible. So I don't know. Let's say it happened. Cause that's a good story. Yeah.
1: I'm all for it. So, approved at my level.
0: Amazing. <laughs> Um, so, where are you calling from today? With all the time zones. <laughs> uh,
1: today, I am. I'm on the U.S. West Coast. I'm in. I'm in Oregon, which ah. is a is a beautiful place to to spend some time over the summer. So, uh, so I am. It's it's marvelously green, um, and I do, and I've got uh, a lot of good friends here and everything. So, yeah. So from from lush green Oregon.
0: Amazing! I love that, and. The US is one of your passport countries, but of course, it as is. we know, that is not the whole story. So do you <laughs> want to give a little spiel about your TCK identity and all that? Uh
1: yeah, mine's mine's thankfully not not all that terribly complicated for explanation purposes. Um and I so I dual national between the UK and the US. Um my I'm a military brat, uh, so I was born in the UK. Um my mother was born in the U.S., but actually lived a fair chunk, if not the majority of her life outside the U.S. Um, And my father was actually uh, born in Germany and grew up a bit in France, um, you know, but joined the U.S. military. Uh, So yeah, so I I was born, you know, while they were on an overseas tour and grew up mostly on overseas tours. So um, I've spent probably the longest collectively of my life in the UK, but kind of in little chunks. Oh. Um, I've lived the longest contiguously uh, in Belgium. Um, I've I've recently taken to uh, spending more time, kind of based out of an intermittently in the US. Um, and for a while, I just sort of uh, <laughs> for a while because uh, I learned to do it, you know, moving around as a kid. And so, as an adult, it just made sense. I decided. You know, I I got places to go. I can't be having one home. That's mm-hmm. logistically too much. So I would just sort of rotate. Um, I would say that for you know for for a chunk, of my my bases have kind of rotated between spending part of the year based in Brussels, part based in Dubai, and part based uh, kind of in Singapore. So I'm not homeless. I'm home full is how I've decided to to go with that one. I just temporarily stay in the lock. Yeah, places.
0: yeah. That's honestly sounds like a good way to balance the kind of rootlessness but also the um wanting of roots or wanting yeah. of maybe stability by having Oh absolutely longer chunks in a place instead of just throwing yourself all around and I guess you've done both scenarios yeah. it sounds like no, and, it,
1: and it it was it was really helpful just being you know I could base in Dubai and you know kind of um use that as a hub for for engagements in the Middle East base in Brussels use it as a hub for Europe mm-hmm. base in Singapore and um and I did it did it worked really well the the downside I thought I was really clever um <laughs> I and thought I thought you hacked
0: the system <laughs> I did
1: I was like oh I got this look at me I you know I I'm I'm never homesick because and I do I've got I'm a very fortunate boy I have absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal community
0: mm-hmm. um
1: in all of those places um and uh and then you know the pandemic hit which uh which threw bit of a spanner in the works, if you mm-hmm, will, um, mm-hmm. or a wrench in the gears, depending on where you're from. And <laughs> it definitely, uh, obviously halted my my travel, which is kind of at the core of what I do. And, uh, and what I realized was that actually my whole, oh, I've hacked the system. I never get homesick was is the opposite. I was homesick for everywhere. I realized, mm-hmm. I was like, oh no, I really, really miss Dubai and Singapore and Brussels and I thought, oh, I've done this the wrong way. I actually am. I have more homesickness than uh, than most people. But you know, that's that's a learning experience. There's there's some good to that.
0: That is good to know because I have thought about that kind of, I guess, dual or triple lifestyle of having multiple different homes that I'm like, yeah, kind of living in or moving between. It does sound like a hack, but maybe it is in the end more exhausting or more dividing yourself up then committing yeah. to one place or just constantly moving and then just accepting that you're what is <laughs> well, I,
1: did. Just I learned like that <laughs> I, yeah I learned I learned that it's just a trade-off you know mm-hmm. it. it I think that you know for for people with a home they do they get they get homesick that's a thing I've heard yeah. about it yeah. um yeah I did instead of beating it I realized the trade-off is I do I get to experience multiple homes but I also feel an emotional attachment to multiple homes and communities because mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. the the people um, exactly. and that's not a that's not a bad thing you know I, no. as long as I can regularly get to all those places then I'm like well it's, it's like getting to live three lives in the span of one and yes. so I still consider it a plus
0: absolutely and yeah it's definitely a privilege and definitely um, brings joy to your life in many ways but interesting that you've like yeah navigated it that way um but to bring it back to when you were a kid you grew up um as a military kid which is something I'm not so familiar with being a child of international educators that was my background um how did your military affiliation help uh with your sense of identity or belonging or how did it maybe like challenge you in certain ways
1: yeah well um Oh, man uh, just like just like all tck's it, it really it was a huge influence probably probably that i didn't realize how much of an influence until until you get a little older and you can have wider perspective so i think the the short version is that um my my parents uh, always really like to integrate into the local community. So uh, for instance, I, I actually started, I was born uh, in a British hospital. My, my family lived in a little village far away from the military base. My poor dad had a really long commute into the base. But as a result, you know, the first the first little bit of my life, but actually you know, we moved before I can really remember. But so we, I was born in the UK, lived there as a wee one that I can't remember. Moved to uh, the U.S. when I was very very little, but can't remember it. Uh, then moved back to the U.K. and lived in a tiny village. So I started out school in a in a tiny little British village, um, and and basically, you know, I I really didn't know I was anything but British. I just was, you know, what what all the kids around me were. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom had had already picked up a British accent for being there so long. So uh, my dad spoke with an American accent because he was on the base every day, right? Um and I would I would translate uh for him My dad would come home and you know say things like I brought the mail, and I would tell my little sister, Daddy says he brought the post.
0: Yeah, and,
1: uh, <laughs> you know, just and that was the only weirdness was just well, you know, daddy talks a bit funny, yeah. Um, but that was about it, and then uh oh, we did, we moved. Um, when I was in uh, U.S. second grade, I don't know how old that is, eight or nine or something, I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, little, uh, we moved to Las Vegas, uh, Nevada, which was a bit of a shift going from tiny English village where, Absolutely. you know, uh, I, I did, I had one of those little village schools where manners were of the utmost importance and um, mm-hmm. That's, that was, you know, you could be thick as a brick, as long mm-hmm. as you could apologize for it, you would progress through the system. Yeah, uh, I went from that to a Las Vegas public school. And uh, that was a massive shift. Just, uh, you know, my, I had a, a British accent, um, which is is still kind of, you know, I've, I I can speak both. I, you mm-hmm. know, I'm in America, so I do a lot of American now, but, um, but yeah, if, I mean, as a, as a small British child arriving in Las Vegas talking like this, it was, I stood out like a sore thumb. Um, and it wasn't just the accent, it was the clothing because, you know, yeah. this was, let's see, I moved in the early 90s, uh, but the 90s didn't really come to the UK until about 2005. So I dressed several decades behind. So there I was in Las Vegas. <laughs> everyone's wearing bright neon clothing and shorts and everything because it's the desert. And I show up, you know, in <laughs> with tight fitting you know, trousers and uh, and everything. Uh, like a like, I was like a little time capsule from the seventies. Yeah. So I would just, I drew so much unwanted attention, but that was a really good lesson in learning to adapt. And I, I really did. Mm-hmm. I, I focused very, very, I mean, even as a a small child, I focused very intentionally on, all right, I need to learn how these people around me talk. Uh, mm-hmm. I need to learn their lingo. I need to dress like them. I need to do all of these things to fit in. And, um, And I think when you do it young enough and without much of a standard of comparison that was just there was no sort of critical analysis it was just like well this is what has to happen Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, and so did that and then then we moved back to the UK um, because uh, because for fun Uh, so we did so we got back to the UK (laughs) yeah Um, and so I arrived in the UK you know again having an American accent at this point you know I'd, Mm -hmm. I'd finally learned to fit in um, and I think it was at that, but when we moved back that time, we ended up going to a a school, a military school, basically on the base. Um, uh, so it's so basically you know a form of an international school, and that actually was really that was great because there was a bit of both. There was you know everyone was used to people moving around. Uh, yeah. There were kids with British accents. Um, you know there were kids with American accents. There are kids who'd lived all over the world, and that actually. That was just very comfy. So I was, and I was fortunate. I, that was about middle school, and I spent middle school and high school in military schools. Um, And I think uh, to to sort of wrap this all up as far as identity, uh, I do think it was honestly uh, after I'd graduated from a military school, a US military school overseas, Mm -hmm. uh, after I graduated, um, I ended up, uh, I, I worked for a youth ministry organization. And uh, they brought in a TCK speaker, and it was the okay. first time that I'd ever heard the term TCK. And uh, it made a ton of sense. Uh, it was it was presented, though, really a bit in the negative. So uh, mm-hmm. they sort of talked about just the difficulties. And it was okay. an odd, conflicting feeling because I remember yeah. thinking, oh, Oh, that's true. Oh, it's, it's so good to be seen, but also what you're seeing, I'm very problematic. And I remember thinking, (laughs) you know, I must have, it's like a terminal illness. Like I have, I have a terminal case of TCK and at least I know my symptoms. Um, Uh But I think uh, that actually probably very influentially helped launch me into what I do because I remember the thought I took away from it was, um, you know, these, these are, these are all the kids I grew up with. We're all this thing Mm -hmm. and it can't be all bad. Like we, we yeah. must have some good stuff in there too and i so i was very interested in researching that and then i ended up um one of the things that i found really interesting i did a well, i was in university i went to university in the uk and uh so even then you know i was, ironically i was i was going to university in the uk but also still working on a us base so i was still bouncing oh back gosh. and forth a little bit um and uh, while in while in university i wrote i wrote a, a dissertation on um basically the amount of, uh, overseas U S military kids. So kids who'd spent a significant portion of the time at overseas bases mm-hmm. about how many of them end up back in the military themselves. And it was a oh, fascinating study just because there's a certain percent m- like matriculation chance where, you know, if you're, if your mother is a doctor, certain percent chance, you may also be a doctor. You know, if you're, right. uh, if your dad is in finance, certain percent chance you'll be in finance. Cause obviously that's close influence. Um, but I think what we found was for overseas military brats, um, it was just an, an, uh, an unexpected, well, maybe unexpected, but it was a, a really large percent, like a giant. In some of our study groups, it was up to like 70%, that basically wow. seven out of 10 kiddos who spent the majority of their time that overseas bases ended up somehow in the military, either active duty themselves as a spouse, as a contractor, something Mm -hmm. that would get them back into an overseas military installation. And uh, which is interesting, but we did some interviews and what became really apparent was that um, for some of the people, the reasoning wasn't actually positive because there are very positive Um, reasons for doing mm -hmm. that. But for an alarming number of the people we interviewed, they basically said... Um, you know, it was, it was cultural moratorium. Basically. They said, look, I'm, I'm American. I know I am. Everyone uh-huh. tells me I work on an American base. I see a very hyper version of American patriotism. Uh-huh. And, but I know, I know I don't belong, you know, overseas and I've been, you know, I've been taught my whole life, you know, Oh, can't wait to get back home uh-huh. to the U S even though many of these kids hadn't spent a lot of time there. And what they found is when they finally got to the U S they didn't get this sense of belonging. They thought they would Um, Mm -hmm. because the truth is the military is a different culture than American culture Mm -hmm. Um, and even American culture is incredibly diverse but without the language and framework you know a lot of these kids felt this sense of you know horrific disappointment this whole I've been geared up my whole life to finally return home and I get there and it doesn't feel like home Mm -hmm. and uh, one quote that I remember from it that stuck with me A lot is someone said. You know, I realized I knew growing up that I was a foreigner. Everywhere I was, I was a foreigner. I lived in Germany. I lived in Japan. I'm not German or Japanese. I'm I'm American, but more accurately, I'm a foreigner. They said, and I I thought I'd finally get to the U.S. and stop being a foreigner, but I felt just as foreign there. And they said the problem was that didn't match. Like you can't, Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to be an American in America feeling foreign. So they said I just needed my life to match. So if I'm just used to being foreign. I said, I just need to go back where foreigners belong, which is in foreign places. And (laughs) so they said, they said, so I joined the military because all I know how to do is be foreign. And to me, that was sort of a call to action because I remember thinking, you know, again, phenomenal reasons to join the military, to join the diplomatic corps, to join, Mm -hmm. to become a missionary, to do whatever it is that gives you cross-cultural exposure. There are great reasons to do that, but I feel like it's we're doing ourselves a disservice if people... Are doing those things because they feel trapped. Uh, Absolutely. And, and I just thought, you know, it's, it's a lack of language and framework in in mm-hmm. essence, just that, you know, they they didn't have the language to explain the situation. They just thought, again, mm-hmm. I thought I was American, but apparently I'm not. And so I really did. I wanted. it's sort of what got me into becoming a speaker is I said, oh, no, 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 no. If we just oh. <laughs> armed people with some language and framework, they would, you know, they, that would, that would improve their quality of life. In my, you know, humble opinion, mm-hmm. because because they would, they'd be able to process their experience and and be able to figure out, you know, uh, maybe, maybe they still do want to join the military or the diplomatic corps, but maybe with resolved identity, they would know, okay, it's going to take a little work, but I could put down roots if I wanted to. I just wanted people to have options, basically.
0: Absolutely. I think that's really important. And that's actually a quote that stuck out to me from your book that I wrote down, I think probably coming from all of that research that you you went into Mm. the quote being the place you're meant to feel the most at home is the most foreign to you Mm. and I think that sums it up that yeah a lot of us feel that way and you're right I think it's a drive for people to go back overseas um even I think maybe there's similar uh percentages with international teachers who had kids and those kids go to on back to being international teachers or humanitarian workers like all of these different things linking back to what your parent do like you said there's inherent maybe percentage already but also and maybe it's um amplified by the fact that you are searching for this outward home yeah that's not your quote-unquote home country
1: Right. That's just say, I think, you know, inherently yeah. we do, we want, we want somewhere to belong. And, mm-hmm. and I do think, you know, the international, the cross-cultural, the global, we have so many terms now, mm-hmm. um, but that, that tribe for a lack of a better term, I think that's, I think that's a great place to belong. But again, I just think um, it's, it's never a bad thing. To have language and framework so that you can process and understanding and some of that, you know, it's being able to understand, you mm-hmm. know, why why that's your tribe. And, and whether you choose to stay in that or not, um, again, the being empowered to be able to make that decision. I, I think that's really and important.
0: Instead of it just kind of being the default,
1: right? Like, exactly. Making
0: it like a conscious decision. Yeah. For sure. And with that, like in, in your book, you talked about. It being hard to be in the U.S. after you went back when you were 18, and realizing (laughs) like maybe you you felt foreign there. Um, Yeah. Was there like a last straw moment for you that made you realize you wanted to go back overseas? If that's too personal, you can.
1: Yeah. No. 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 Go on. Uh, um... (laughs) That's such a good way to put it. A last straw (laughs) moment. Uh, I think honestly, the last straw moment was was when my arrogance broke and had to give way to humility. Um, okay because mm-hmm. I think that the arrogant part of me uh thought um uh thought you know what I mean I, I grew up on American bases I go into America like it's not that hard. I mean I sound like them I look like them I know mm-hmm. American food <laughs> we have commissaries on base I got this yeah um and so so I did I, I got to the U.S. and thought I'm gonna be fine here uh, and I I did not realize how different, you know, military and American culture would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was constantly caught off guard. And it's a very, very humbling experience to, you know, start out, you know, walking around a place thinking, you know, what's going on and then realizing, I mean, and I did, I, you know, even in uh, the US, I had, I had good friends, um, I had a very good friend who was former military himself, and he had to act almost as a translator for me. Mm-hmm. Um because they, you know, my my life, my life, what I associated with America was actually military culture, and it's full of acronyms and mm-hmm. a certain way of life. And in the same way that people who join the military have to learn, you know, this whole other system, the reverse is also true. So mm-hmm. I had no idea about where you get things accomplished. You know, paperwork things. You know, in yeah. the military, there's MPF, uh, the military personnel flight, and they they handle paperwork stuff. And there's, there's just, you know, pass an idea, different offices that do these things. And I had no idea what the civilian yeah. equivalents were. And I yeah. had to constantly <laughs> ask my friend, you know, and he'd have to explain. He's like, okay, well, for that, you know, you need a, a driver's license and you go to the DMV for that. And for that, you know, you've got to register at this. And I was like, there are so, how does everyone just know all of this? There's like seven different places you do. There's not yeah. just one MPF. And he's like, yeah, the military actually consolidates and makes a lot of things easy. And I was like, civilian life is so hard. I yeah. remember all these different things at all these different places. And, and so it was, it was sort of this breaking down of, oh man, I actually don't know you know, I don't know near as much as I think I do. And well, I think I put it in the book, but little stupid things like I was pretty used to growing up overseas, you know, you you live in other countries, you visit other countries and uh, you can see movies in English, but a lot of times you'd see it in local language with English subtitles. Yeah. Um, but on base, it was always in English, like we'd get, you know, American movies over and it's an American base. But in American military bases, I don't know if they still do it, but it would begin with the national anthem. And so you just learn out of habit. Like basically my brain put things together and said, all right, if I'm in the theater and I hear English around me, it's probably a military theater. So when the lights go dark, they're going to play in the national So go ahead and stand up. And they don't do that in the US. And so I did. I went with some friends and the lights got dark. Oh and I stood up ready for the national anthem. And it just started playing commercials. And they were like, what are you doing? Sit down. And I just <laughs> just sort of had to play it off. I go, oh, I just, yeah. yeah I was goes. I was stretching. I was limbering up. You guys don't stretch totally. before yeah. a movie. We're gonna be sitting a long time. You don't want to stand? Okay, I'll sit. And just enough of those stacked up that I was like, all right, this I mm-hmm. do not, I do not, I'm beginning to learn that I that I don't know a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I do, I think, I think some of that was it and it, it was, it was a little bit of my own. Oh, I, I want to go back to where foreigners belong. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, so I did, but, and I do to this day, it's some of the advice that I give when I speak at schools and I get to speak to seniors, uh, or, you know, TCK is about to go off to college. There's a, a, a huge chunk of the time. Uh, TCKs go to college in a country they have some degree of familiarity with, even if it's not their passport country. uh, Mm -hmm. It's, you know, a lot of, a lot of students, um, you know, will go to the U S and they've got some, the U S is difficult because it's so media pervasive that we all think we know the Mm U S as we watch it all the time on TV. Um, Or, I mean, I think same thing to the degree with the UK or, um, but if it is, if you, if you go to a place with some familiarity or even just linguistic familiarity, it's. I think that's actually the harder transition because yeah. you do, you're do you lulled into a false sense of security. And you think, oh, I Absolutely. got this. And whereas if you head to a completely foreign place, you know, if you go you know, to university, say in the Netherlands uh, or something, um, there's so many places, great universities. But you, if you go to a place where it's obviously different from you, you know, unless you're Dutch going to the Netherlands, but mm-hmm. then you have a more of a cue to be like, oh, this is going to be different. Keep your eyes open. Observe. But you head to a place with some degree of familiarity and it kind of tricks you into not being as observant as you need to be. So I do, I try to tell, you know, TCKs, one of my, the pieces of advice I wish I'd been given was to, to treat everywhere, even if you have some familiarity, even if it's your passport, one of your passport countries, treat it like it's completely foreign just because it, Mm -hmm. it trains you to, to be better observer and you're going to need that. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. otherwise you do, it's really upsetting to be like, I thought I knew this and I don't.
0: Exactly. That's really good advice because, yeah, you want to come in maybe a bit too arrogant, like you know the place yeah. and you really don't. And you get blindsided by things thinking, yeah, you know it and you don't. So yes, right. <laughs> on two sides. And then also in kind of a positive way it, in in going back to somewhere that where foreigners, you can be foreign, you, there's no expectation too for you to like mm-hmm. know things. Whereas when you go maybe back to your passport so country, they're like, You should just know this thing, and you don't, and you might feel embarrassed, or you might, yeah, try to play it off like, "Oh, I was just stretching in the movie theater. I wasn't (laughs) expecting there to be the national anthem." Whereas you go overseas to somewhere that's not your passport country, somewhere you haven't lived, and you come with that bright wide eye. I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna be humble. I'm gonna. respect the culture and then learn the culture but also nobody expects me to know anything about it so you yeah. can kind of embrace the flaws and stumble through not knowing the language and be like that's okay whereas <laughs> if you went quote-unquote home people might be like why don't you know this <laughs> I
1: do you not understand yeah it's such yeah. a good point I think I think you're absolutely right um you do you get I, I mean I I'm I'm a little bit ashamed to say that I I began using that I subsequent trips to the U.S. Again, I think I, I don't, I mean, I, my American accent isn't, isn't perfect, but mm-hmm. it's really, I think it's relatively passable if I do say so myself. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> but, but I do, I, I learned that actually it is way easier to come to the U S and use a British accent because you get so much more grace. You know, yeah. if I, if I yeah. go to, I did it in a, I think a Chipotle or something, um, and it is everyone knows what to do in Chipotle. It's this restaurant in the U.S. where you you basically get to build your own burrito, and um, mm-hmm. but it uses terminology that you know if you haven't been to Chipotle anyway. And I I did. I got in there and I didn't know what I was doing. And as an American, I'm just annoying everyone because they're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, what is wrong with this idiot? Just like, how did you not decide before you got in line? We're all waiting. And I was so frustrated. And I learned there uh, that if I yeah. just, if I if I become British, I get so much more grace. Like if I'm just mm-hmm. like, hello. And you and I would go to a obnoxious degree of, like way more British than Brits actually are.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and just
1: stand there alive. Like, I'm so very sorry. It's my fault entirely. You clearly have a really finely tuned system here to pick out yeah. your food prevents. <laughs> I have no idea how to do this. Do please forgive me. I'm just a string of inconveniences, roughly hewed together by apologies. Just you tell me, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, welcome to America." Yeah, Listen, I'll it's help fine. you.
0: Don't worry. And, uh, Here,
1: have your burritos on us. It's fine. And uh, and I did. I felt like I was cheating a bit because I was like, "Oh, yeah. I am kind of American, yeah. but also I don't know what I'm doing." And mm-hmm. if I at least have a foreign accent to match, people at least will give you the time, you know. So it is. Yeah, to your point, I think it's such a good point. Mm-hmm. Such a good point.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Do you ever wish you like tried to stick it out longer in the U.S.? Are you very happy with their trajectory of?
1: No, I no, I yeah, no, no, I I think I I think I am pretty pretty happy. Um, and some of that because um, I mean, I did I I I did go back. Um, you know, I'm I'm in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, right now, even. right right. Um, but I do I distinctly remember um quite a few years later, uh, after I the um I moved around a bit um and ended up uh in turkey and um when it was time to leave turkey i remember thinking well i don't know where to go next you know Mm -hmm. where should i go and i thought all right i'm gonna give the u.s a try again it's time like it's uh, it's time to do the u.s i was a little bit older a little wiser uh and so i did i I went back and was far more observant and went with you know far more of a take information thing and absolutely Mm -hmm. and loved it um but I do. I feel immensely privileged to to been able to live the places I've lived, visit the places I've visited, and um, and it is I, I, a deeper appreciation for so much less is universal than we think it is. That it's just so easy to project mm-hmm. our own experience. And I I did Absolutely. it as a, a wee one. You know, I I started out in British village school, and you just why would you think school for anyone else would be any different? Um, yeah. And we do it with everything. And so I so I did. I I. It was a fun little stretch, you know. That first time in the U.S., um, it was great to get back to the U.K. and to the military. Mm-hmm. You know, those those were familiar, but still a nice sort of bouncing between. It led to again being able to live in other countries, uh, and yeah, and I and now now the U.S. is part of my repertoire, and exactly. Uh, and I'm pretty, yeah, I'm I'm very pleased.
0: So, once you kind of noticed this, um, I guess, awareness raising that you wanted to contribute about TCKs and the choices that we can make in our lives to um, change our scenarios and embrace everything good and bad about being a TCK, how did you kind of fall into the role of professional speaker then?
1: Uh, Oh, it's a great question. And I, I wish, I wish that I, I wish I could say I was clever enough that I, you know, mapped out so great. Well, here's what I'll do. Of course. No (laughs) one does. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not actually that clever. Um, No, I was, I was very fortunate. I think some of my, some of my connections with uh, working with the military, some of my connections in youth ministry um, and all those sorts of things just lined up to where, you know, I, I, I had access to military brats um, mm-hmm. And that was, you know, good to study and um, started out with kind of small speaking opportunities to share. Um, and then eventually, you know, those kind of grew word, word spread uh, among schools. And then um, I was able to get involved with some really cool organizations and conferences, FIGT, Families and Global Transition mm-hmm. is one of them. Um, and that just expanded kind of the network further. Um, and I, I do, I have a lot to owe for just the phenomenal network of people between international schools and military bases and even uh, international churches between mm-hmm. families of transition, just this phenomenal network that were a bunch of people who cared about the same things I cared about and mm-hmm. this idea that we could all sort of help each other. And that, that did that, that thankfully just led to more and more opportunities. Um, the great thing that came alongside those opportunities was the ability to, The more I expanded into different realms, the more I got to pick up from not just different places, but different scenarios. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I would say that what I really get to do now is just be a a cross pollinator is I I have the immense privilege of seeing what's going well in Mm -hmm. a diverse group of things. I get to see what's going well in strangely remote military bases and what's going well in international schools in Southeast Asia and what's going Mm -hmm. well in uh, you know the in a corporate world in in Eastern Europe, and what's good yeah. and and these these different groups may all be doing things that are phenomenal that that maybe they don't they don't know outside their realm. And I get to sort of run around and go, well, here's what I saw work really well over here. People go, Ooh, and yeah. it makes me sound super clever." <laughs> but it's really not me. It's really just you know having having great access to be able to do yeah. cross-pollinating and and I love that.
0: And it's true. Like this network is so small, like from international schools to military organizations to yeah. Humanitarian workers. I feel like there's so much overlap. Yeah. And even, even with us, like you, I interviewed Rachel Kasin, um a few times on the podcast yeah. and you said you endorsed her book and the international teaching world too. I have a whole network too because of my parents and yeah, it's yeah, just crazy. Of
1: oh, and I do. I do. It's a, a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, it really is. And I think it adds to our community and our our sense of home too. And we can have these conversations with people all around the world at all different times. And
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a great benefit.
0: So yeah, you've mentioned a couple amazing pieces of advice. I was wondering if you had another, maybe one or two top pieces of of advice for young adult TCKs. So early twenties, mid twenties, TCKs navigating the world.
1: Yeah, I think um, uh, so. The one, well, yeah, there, there are two that come to mind very, very quickly. Um, one, and, and I'm just, I am living proof of this, and it, it may not apply to everyone, but I'm going to throw it out there just in case. Amazing um, is uh, is conflict resolution skills. Oh mm. my goodness, <laughs> um, it's something that I I speak on frequently, um, and the initial reason is that one of the things that we've noticed about uh, a fair amount, not all TCKs, come, uh, but a fair amount of TCKs uh, deal with a degree of transience. Um, so either it's because uh, as a TCK, you're moving yourself a lot, or there's a significant number of TCKs who may not actually move that much, but they're in an international environment where the people around them do. So I think actually children of international educators find this a lot. They may actually stick around longer sometimes than the average person in a school, but they're still surrounded by people changing constantly. Absolutely. Um, so what that means is one of the bad habits that I think we can pick up uh, is the ability to make relationships disposable. And uh, lots of reasons for this, the, the super short uh, clinical answer is just that you sort of learn in transients, everyone's got a sell by date. Every hello is just a goodbye waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And I know for me um, and a significant number of fellow TCKs I've spoken to that developed into a bad habit where um, we just didn't develop much in the way of conflict resolution skills. I mean, I do, I'm, you know, going to a military high school. I, I distinctly remember, you know, if I got in a bad enough argument or fight or disagreement with someone, I didn't have to fix it. Cause you know, if I wait a little while, they're going to move or I'm going to move. So just get rid of them, (laughs) just get rid of them. (sighs) And uh, the thing is, that's that's not a great way to go through life. And it stings if you become an adult with no real conflict resolution skills, it's going to cause a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, the the reality is that for for non-transient people, um, conflict resolution is just part of your environment. You you basically, you're stuck around a bunch of people that you probably can't escape. So you learn how to make it work. Mm-hmm. But for TCKs, they don't have, that's not their environment. Their environment is again, if things get rough, I can just get rid of you. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> which is a harsh way to put it. And not that anyone I think is that overt about it, but subconsciously mm-hmm. that is what we do. So a huge piece of advice I have is intentionally learn conflict resolution skills. Um And it's, uh, it's not as hard as we think some of it is is just the mental capacity to realize what we do instinctively it's just stopping ourselves and going oh, okay am i am i avoiding conflict you know am i disposing of someone mentally or even relationally rather than go through conflict and and somebody is starting out small and just learning to do little conflicts and realizing oh i've come out the other side everything's yeah. still okay yeah. um and even just looking at different frameworks, you know, it. Uh, I when I do workshops, we talk about different approaches that, you know, compromise is sometimes a great option, collaboration is sometimes a great option, sometimes you compete, sometimes uh-huh. it's actually perfectly fine to have an argument and say, well, no, I think this, and uh-huh. we disagree, and here's why I think what I think, and you can do it respectfully and um, but I think all those are important skills. I think though they're, they're even more important because mainstream culture is catching up to us. Um, social media means everyone can now make relationships disposable. So okay. we're seeing conflict resolution skills drop off even amongst non-TCKs. And what I think that means is everybody now needs to spend some intentional time on learning how to do conflict. How do you have an argument respectfully? How do you disagree and still maintain a relationship? How do you, uh, How do you do all that? um and it is it it can be confusing for tck's because i think tck's are used to uh different opinions different you know they grew up with a bunch of different um and and so we sort of assume that that makes us okay but Uh actually we need to know how to argue as well um Uh so that would be my first one is engage in some intentional uh conflict resolution development it's good for us Uh Uh, and not not necessarily part of our environment um and uh, probably the next one would be would be grief. Um you know, I brought up two fun ones. Let's yeah, you know, who dive doesn't into it. <laughs> who doesn't wake up in the morning and say, "Man, I hope I have some conflict today and I really want to get some grief out." Yeah, um, exactly. But, but even That's if you don't reality. wake up thinking that, that I do think, you know, and I who knows who I stole this from, um mm-hmm. I, I would credit them if I can, remember someone very wise, uh, the great doctor, yeah. once said the, uh, the thing about TCKs is they tend to experience more grief more frequently and with less recovery time. And I think as a society as a whole, we don't necessarily in many cultures, some do better than others, but society as a whole in many cultures, we don't, we don't do grief. Well. Um, and I think for TCKs again, because they say more goodbyes, um, not just to friends, but to lifestyles, to familiarity, to security. Um, that grief, uh, if it's not expressed, when I when I do workshops, I I tell people very slowly, not because I doubt their intelligence, but partially just to mm-hmm. remind myself, I think the truth about grief is that it's always going to be expressed. You cannot stop it. It's yeah. either going to come out in ways you choose, or it's going to come out in ways you don't, but it's going to come out. And mm-hmm. so I think being able to take control of that and and choose is actually really important. And it's against a lot of our instincts. I think we all try to suppress and just think, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, fine. But it, it will stack mm-hmm. up and it will come out. And sometimes it'll come out in transference. Sometimes uh, I've seen a lot of incidents where um, everything from self-harm, eating disorders, obsessive compulsive behavior, lots of things actually mm-hmm. can take can take the roots from lack of resolving grief. We just, we mm-hmm. have something inside. We feel out of control. Grief can make us feel out of control. Like, oh, yeah. I've lost all this, haven't dealt with it. What if I keep losing things? And so if we feel out of control in one area, we run the risk of compensating by becoming very controlling in another area. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of good reason um, and marvelously clever people have talked about this to deal uh, with grief well. Um, and that is, that's, that's a hard thing to do. But I think I even guess. just- I'm I'm a big fan of imagery. And I think for me, one of the things that I really, I, I needed, I needed good imagery to, to make things relatable. And I think grief for me, um, being able to picture like a move is a great example, although there's lots of ways, you know, you lose things, but a move in many ways is like a social stock market crash. Uh, mm. By that, I mean, you, you're in a place and you built up a ton of memories and, and people have knowledge about you and that's, those are like stock. And so, you know, at, at whatever school you were at, um, you know, you were known as, oh, you're you're the kid who was in this play, or you were great at that sport, or you're part of this, you remember we did this funny thing. And all those memories are they're, they're stock and they have value because because mm-hmm. other people, I mean, just like stock, stock is, you know, yeah. it, it has value because people say it has yeah. value. Um and when you move, you still hold all of that stock, you still take those memories but they, they all lose their value. Suddenly nobody else cares that you were great at the sport at your last school. So you're holding the stock and you had to watch its value plummet. And Mm -hmm. that is a massive loss. Um, And we do because we, we feel very vulnerable. Uh, We then we're like, Oh my gosh, buy new stock, buy new stock. And we do, we Mm -hmm. create new memories, new relationships, but that trend will continue. And unless we deal with it, um, you do you have to you begin to build up coping mechanisms that may not be healthy. You may mm-hmm. you may start to go, oh, stock market crash is common. And mm-hmm. so you try to liquidate your stock. You basically try to <laughs> try to cut people out and go, nope, no more, no more friends, mm-hmm. no more. I need to get rid of you people before it hurts. Um, not everybody does that, but long and short of it is that finding, and I think that's important, finding the imagery for your grief. Um, whether you want to look at it like a social stock market crash or um, you know, Lauren Wells has a phenomenal book, um, you know, about the grief tower mm-hmm. and, uh, there are, there's some great resources out there, but I, I do think, um, that and learning to express your grief in tangible ways, I've seen that be yeah. really powerful. If we psychologically, if we can sense something with our senses, you know, taste, touch, uh, sight, smell, hearing, um, It feels external. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. it means, you know, uh, take your sadness, find a song that you can listen to, give an audible expression of your sadness. Um, If you're great at art, do some sculpting or drawing or poetry or... I mean, bake your sadness by all means, like, yeah. go oh make, my gosh. go make a cake of grief and yeah. then eat it, you know, don't go crazy with that. But, yes. but yeah, just a way to externalize something we feel internally. And I think, you know, it my top two would be would be those would be take the time to learn to do conflict resolution. Well, it doesn't come naturally to our people. And it's actually a difficulty for everybody now. And mm-hmm. same thing with grief, it doesn't come naturally to our people. But and everybody deals with grief that's not just TCKs. it's exactly. universal that's,
0: and i think that's what all of this comes down to a lot of what we experience as tck's is universal it's just on maybe a trajectory in, yeah. in one way that other people don't um experience like i love your hallway analogy so i think imagery is super powerful especially people um yeah who like are visual learners it's yeah. just you need something tangible to kind of um relate all of this to. so that's great both of those are wonderful pieces of advice in my opinion oh
1: yeah thank you <laughs> no and i do even the hallway thing i think you're right like you look at that the the, the idea that came up the imagery, the hallway again just to give an image to you know the complex yes, thought please. of tck's but <laughs> Just the idea that, you know, we do we being a TCK is not that you take all of the different cultures that make you who you are and shove them together in one big conglomerate, mm-hmm. that I think it's actually, they remain relatively separate in order for your life to work. You know, if you I think the example I use for this is a German family I know living in Japan, and they send their son to an international school so he's got, he's got multiple rooms, and they have to stay separate to work and language is an mm-hmm. easy one to pick but it's actually just the tip of the iceberg so. You know, this This kid is German, so he, sp- he speaks German at home. He's got the German room. They do German things. Um, he takes the metro to school, so he has to take the metro in Tokyo, which is not just a different language, but a different level of personal space. A different, mm-hmm. you know, it's a whole separate room that he has to keep there for his life to work. Then he gets to the international school, which is yet another room. with. It's in English, so it's yet another language, but it's also its own values and expectations. And we assume sometimes that being a TCK is just you shove all that together. But his life wouldn't work if he shoved it together. If he, you know, speaks German no. in Tokyo, mm-hmm. the level of understanding drops significantly. Mm-hmm. If he, you know, scooted up next to someone with the amount of personal space on the metro in the international school, it, people would think it's creepy. Yes. It's so <laughs> those rooms have to stay separate for life to work. But you do you do spend time in a hallway that connects them, mm-hmm. and I think that's the TCK experience. And we and we find each other in those hallways. We may not have some of the same rooms, but we know what it's like to have to be in these different rooms. And the beauty of this is that that's that's I think a great way of looking at the TCK experience, but a modified version applies to everyone. I mean mm-hmm. people have exactly. the way you interact with uh your family and the way you interact with friends and the way you interact with business colleagues, those could be three separate rooms and you keep them separate for life to work and you spend time in the hallway that connects yep. them all. So yep. it it's not as drastic or severe as maybe the TCK experience but but it's still something we do all have in common, and I I think that's a beautiful thing to remember.
0: Exactly, and I think we can take more comfort in that too. As TCKs, Is we can still connect with anyone Absolutely. because we all have, we're all facing all the same things. We're all human. And
1: we're so, all human.
0: <laughs> that's what it comes down to. And yeah, yeah no, I think that is wonderful. Um, one last question that's a bit lighter than those past two <laughs> topics. Read, so we're um,
1: done with grief and conflict. What else can I, I dredge we've,
0: we've, uh <laughs> Yes, exactly. What else can we get out of this? Um, basically, my personal Q&A session from everything that I've uh, read and listened to of yours. Uh, but, but so you have written a book. And um, I was wondering if you had to consciously decide whether to use more british terminology or or american terminology and was this a tough decision or did you sprinkle in both
1: (laughs) it's a good question no it was a very tough decision and some of it because i can't even they're they're both mixed up in my head and i thankfully my editor helped me straighten it out my editor had the same conversation yeah they were like listen like my editor was american uh but you know had, had worked in the international sphere and everything and my editor was yeah. like listen some of the terms you use are <laughs> definitely not common american terms um i was like really and she you know she yeah she sort of pointed to them i was like that's not a wow. thing she, she was like no that's not a thing um that's so <laughs> how i did it was kind of sprinkled with both and uh but it so yeah it did she she was a huge help at going through and being like we well, are going to have to pick one and be consistent yeah um and I think I did want to. I I think I kept a few uh, colloquialisms in there, but I think I explained them. Um, yeah. Because they just because they just add to the story, you know. There's unique exactly. things in each culture that reveal sort of a different priority set that I think is actually a, a really cool thing. But, um, yeah, it it did, and I I even remember bouncing between British and American <laughs> school systems, and my yeah. gosh, you know, people deal with far more extreme things than I have, but I I distinctly remember. I mean, there's the spelling, but nowadays that's not that bad. You know, spell checker will fix that. What was much harder was I I remember in American school system, they really want they talked about active voice. They wanted you to write Mm. in a very Mm -hmm. active voice. Um, And because I'd started out because I'd been to British school previously and it was British school is a bit more polite and sort of the academic uh, view is, you know, write a bit detached. Uh, You don't want to be too personal. This is academia. But the American system is very much active, active, you know, Mm -hmm. don't talk about one should talk about I do or what have Mm -hmm. you. And uh, so I did, I had to relearn. I just, I kept getting, you know, comments on my papers in American high school. They were like, "Write an active voice. What is this so passive?" Yeah. And then I went to British university, where <laughs> they were like, "Oh no, <laughs> this is an academic institution. You can't just write about you know, I think like yeah. it, You need to you need to have some professional, you know, academic detachment." And so I do. I i remember even that coming to write a book i was like oh my gosh how do i pick like,
0: like how <laughs> what am i gonna
1: do so it's probably a mix of both to be honest I'm, if you read my book you're probably like what is happening there's active yeah, and passive so. and, and you know what i stand by it i stand exactly by
0: it. it shows your true colors and the nature of your cross-cultural experience so yeah
1: it's a little bit of both and i'm fine take
0: with that. that and run with
1: it <laughs> take that and run with it exactly <laughs>
0: Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. I will Oh def- having such
1: a good time.
0: I definitely link your book and your own podcast and your website and the show notes and everything so people can find you and
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider sharing it with a friend and rate us five stars. We are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you want to follow along and be updated on when future episodes get released, follow us on Instagram at AcrossoceansPodcast, where any inquiries can be emailed to acrossoceanspodcast at gmail.com. I'm your host, Julia, and thank you for tuning in.